Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Around a ponchos, people were like, "Why are they outside all day?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We ran around Legoland, and my kids were on fire in terms of sass and being irrational. They would just like scream at us all day, and we just got to a point where we we're like, "Whatever, sure, like whatever, do what you want." <laughs> I know. We did the Legoland, and it was pretty off the chain. Well, all I know, Taylor, is it's. Amazing to hear your voice on here. You know, I've missed it too. <laughs> glorious. Yeah. Well, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, everyone. This is KJ Reed, Jessica Miller, and Taylor Thomas. And today we are going to give you a ton of information about how to find a therapist and the different kinds of therapy. But first, I think it makes sense to. Tell you guys the difference between a therapist and a coach, like a life coach. So the three of us are licensed clinical social workers and we are therapists. So therapists, if they have that title, will have at least a master's degree and we have to pass an exam. How long is that exam? Like four hours? Well, it depends it too on too long. Four hours. It is. Yeah. A terrible time in my life. <laughs> um, but we have to pass an exam. And then after we pass that exam, we have to complete thousands of hours basically in the field to be licensed. Yeah. And every state requirement is different. So, mm-hmm. how many hours did you guys have to do a face to face therapy in Utah? 4,000. 4,000? Yeah. <laughs> 4,000. I legit that. No, I'm just kidding. 4,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to be super like, I lied about that. Yeah. <laughs> You have to prove it. So, yeah. And then after your license, so typically that can take a therapist about two years of full time. Yeah, full time. Then after that, to keep your license, you have to get continuing education credits. Therapists need to be going to seminars and trainings and all of that to keep up their license. Therapists can diagnose you. And they will treat you. So basically, they assess and come up with a treatment plan for you. And you are protected by confidentiality laws when you're working with a therapist. So treatment you will get from a therapist will be founded in research-based methods. So we will talk about some of those methods later on. And also, therapists do not prescribe medications. Therapists and psychologists do not prescribe. That's only a psychiatrist or a physician. And all of those people that prescribe meds have gone to medical school. Yeah. I get asked a lot if I prescribe meds and no, we don't. Typically, Mm -hmm. we have some knowledge about medications and what they do because a lot of our clients are on different medications for different things. And we do have to know what they are and what they do, but we do not prescribe. So a coach, 
Basically, there's no recognized certification or training programs. Basically, anybody can claim to be a coach, and there's lots of different kinds of coaches. I'm not biased in that. Like, I think there can be a lot of great life coaches that maybe do specific things. Like, maybe you have a life coach to motivate you or a life coach to just talk with you about parenting or things like that. It's just a different feel. It's a different Mm -hmm. vibe. It's I would say it's more casual, but a lot of people have both. Like a lot of people will have a life coach and also have a therapist. You just have to know kind of the differences and what you're you're looking for. When you look for a therapist, you can look up their credentials, where they went to school, their licensing board. But when you're looking for a life coach maybe, or maybe sometimes people will call themselves a mentor in certain fields, you're looking at experience-based. So they could have specific experiences, life experiences, and all that stuff. So I think when you can't look to a licensing board, you look at their life experience and see if that's kind of the thing that you're looking for. I feel like with therapy, most of the time, a basic understanding of therapy is like one hour a week, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least to start. Like that's like a pretty okay assumption that you can make about therapy. But I think life coaching, I mean, the boundaries can be different. Um, how many at times you interact a day, how many times you interact a week, how long each interaction is, what the accessibility to you is. Like as a life I mean, coach. I can saw I- on Gilmore Girls, Terrence went to Yale with Paris. Yes. So. Yes. Or they could there live you with go. you at your Ivy League school. It's kind of like, <laughs> so I think that is a definite conversation to have, you know, if you're looking for a life coach, what that accessibility yeah. is and those expectations are. Yeah, it's kind of, I guess, how you could describe the difference is if you saw your therapist in public, your therapist would not approach you and say hello, because that would be breaking that's confidentiality. A, that's a good point to make, because I think a lot of people don't think about that. And then they think that their therapist yeah. is shunning them. It's ignoring them. Yes. Yeah. But your life coach could just come up to you and start a say, great hey, conversation. Yeah. yeah. Let's dive into how to find a therapist. Basically, my experience of finding a therapist was I just got a free therapist at the college I was going to. A lot of college campuses provide free counseling services if you want them. And a lot of people don't know that. Yeah. But you can call up your counseling center and get free therapy for four years or however long you're in school. It's great. I literally so recommend (laughs) if you're in college... Just go therapy. to therapy for free. Like, mm-hmm. and they have Amazing. the health centers usually have really, really good therapists or really good clinicians there. And so, yeah, go see somebody for stress for a test, see somebody for trouble in a relationship, see somebody for working out any of your past stuff. Just like get yourself ready for post college life. You know, I think that is so good. And even if you're in medical schools or PhD programs, they still have free services for you. Get on, get on that. Yeah, some other ways that you can find a therapist. I mean, you can always go to your primary care physician. If you just go to your family doctor, you can talk to them. They usually have referrals for you there. Ecclesiastical leaders, or in other words, like a church leader of lots of different faiths will offer help. So basically, you just go and say, hey, I need some therapy. I'm not really sure I can can handle that financially. And most of the time, they'll help you figure out some way to do that. Another way you can try to find somebody is just getting a referral from your friends. So people that have seen somebody and really liked them. And 
you know, maybe asking friends that question seems a little awkward and vulnerable because you're basically admitting, hey, I want to go to therapy. And it shouldn't mm-hmm. be this big thing. You know, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. like such a hard thing to talk about, but it is still sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if your friends aren't open about it, who are your friends? Yeah. Come be our friends. Yeah. We'll be open about it with you. <laughs> Find friends I who will talk. I give recommendations all the time. Yeah. All the time. Find friends who time. will talk about who their therapist is and if they like mm-hmm. them or not. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And then check out vocational, like state programs, like vocational rehabilitation centers. And, um, you can contact your insurance. I know I just, I just looked for a therapist and found one two weeks ago. The way that I went about that was I have insurance through my husband's work and I called the insurance. They gave me a list of practitioners and then I picked one that I felt would jive with me. And how I determined that was I did my research. So whenever you find a therapist, do your research on them. You can usually find out lots of information about them, where they went to school, what type of therapy they offer, how long they've been practicing. You can get lots of good information. Yeah. And you can find that on Psychology Today. A lot of times therapists who are in private practice will create a Psychology Today profile and they'll have like a little bit of what their specialties are. Yeah. And whatnot. Yeah. And when I went through my insurance to find a therapist, I also, we're going to talk about the different types of therapy. So I chose, I like filtered by types of therapy and then found practitioners who did that. Also just ignore my baby. We can't ignore her. Even those noises are so beautiful. Just like her face. You got your listeners can't see her, but she's really, really pretty. As Jessica was saying, you can do that on psychology today and put in those filters and find somebody that's a good fit for you. And I think something important to mention, and this is something I hope changes in the mental health field at some point, but usually therapists don't offer a free first session. So Mm -hmm. you basically have to know going into it, hey, I might be dropping some money to have this first session with this therapist and it may not be a good fit. So some things you can do beforehand just to kind of feel out if it'll be a good fit and if you want to make that first step would be a lot of therapists will offer like free 15-minute phone consultations where you can Mm -hmm. ask them questions about what they offer and their style. And a lot of therapists too may answer questions over email. So it's important to know what questions to ask. So questions you could ask would be, what insurance do they take? Will my insurance cover working with you? Uh, You can ask them what you can expect in a first session. Like a lot of therapists will start with, you know, some assessments or talk about a treatment plan with you in the first session. You can just ask them what, how they structure it and what they can expect or what you can expect. And then you can ask them, too, if they give discounts for students. Some people will. So talking about the whole money aspect of it. See, many therapists offer sliding scales. So even if you find somebody and you're concerned about their rates, they'll do sliding scales according to your income, which because I know money, I feel like money is just a huge obstacle when it comes to therapy. Like we all know that we need. Yes, a huge barrier. We all know that we need therapy 
at some points, well, I guess I can't speak for the entire population, but <laughs> most of us, I know I have. So at some points I've needed therapy, but I've been concerned about the money because if I could swing that or if I could afford that, you know, every week or however much that would be a month. So a lot of people offer sliding scales like KJ mentioned college campuses offer cheap counseling or even free counseling. I know where we went to school, there was a clinic that we would that we were being trained in and that was sliding scale. So that wasn't for just the college students, that was for everybody in the community and you could go over to that clinic and you I mean people would pay like maybe $10 mm-hmm. for a therapy session. So look for those options. And then asking them what kind of therapy they do. If they do a CBT therapy, what does that kind of look like for them? If they do EMDR, what can you expect from that? And then if you're talking to them over the phone or even over email, you may be able to get kind of a sense for what their style is. So maybe you can Mm -hmm. kind of sense that they're pretty casual and maybe that vibes with you. Or maybe you can sense that they're pretty professional and that drives with you. That's what you're looking for. So I think you can, you can kind of feel like 15 minutes over the phone if you can somewhat connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. But also too, I think it's important not to judge completely just based on that 15 minute phone call or an hour long session, because mm-hmm. I know most of my first therapy sessions with the kids I work with are kind of awkward. I think that that's a really good point, actually, because, I mean, when you, from a therapist perspective, when you think to, like, at what point, because this happens for therapists, too, we have to figure out if that's a good relationship. And so if you're going to a therapist and say you've been going for, I don't know, like three or four times, maybe five times, and you're just feeling like the relationship isn't right or you're feeling like you're not getting where you want to go, like it is absolutely appropriate for you to approach your therapist and say, hey, you know, I'm just feeling like we're not connecting or I'm feeling like this relationship, like our rapport isn't building and like that is okay and that's what you should do if you're feeling like that. And it's not going to hurt our feelings Mm -mm. because we know that every human is different. It's that idea of like, well, you're not going to connect with every single person and that's okay. So Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to be like, no, this isn't working. I'm going to move on. If the therapist responds poorly, I think that shows even more that you made the best choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because therapists are like gloves. You just have to find one that fits. And even if you're With a glove that doesn't fit, like Jessica said, that's acceptable and that's okay. And there's nothing wrong with either party. It's just what happens. And I know that if I'm noticing that I'm not making progress or if I'm noticing that somebody's pretty closed off pretty continuously, I'll approach them and I'll say, hey, I'm here for whatever you need. But I am feeling like we're not really connecting that well. I'm feeling like you might not be getting what you need. I want you to know it is always an option to see a different therapist. Mm-hmm. And I can I can set you up with somebody. I can give you options. We can talk to them together, see if that's a good fit. And then I always say, like, I would be so happy to continue seeing you, but I want to make sure that you're getting what you need from this interaction and from all of this. And so it's kind of like opening that up and making that not a judgmental or hostile space. It's just okay. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah, one thing that I've noticed with this therapist that I've seen twice, I just found a question that she asked me at the end of every therapy session is, how are you feeling about being here? 
Like, how are you feeling oh, about great. that? And so she, it, she started from the very first session, you know, which are like KJ mentioned are usually assessments, like big information gathering sessions. So there's not usually a whole lot of like emotional connection that goes on. There can be, but sometimes there's not for me, there wasn't. And so at the end she was like, how do you feel about being here? Like, how are you feeling about being here with me? You know, so she started it from the beginning, which I thought, and I was very honest. I said, well, it's the first time, but like, I feel pretty good about being here. Like, I'd like to come back, you know? So it's just like checking in with that person. So I really liked how she did that. I liked how she started that conversation from the very first session, which really resonated with me. I really like that because that to me, I think that's a sign of a good therapist, honestly. Like she mm-hmm. cares about you mm-hmm. and making sure you're comfortable and liking the process as opposed to you're just a paycheck. Yeah. Like get out of here. My yeah. three o'clock is coming in. Yeah. And yeah. like all all professions, I mean, there's people that work as therapists who are not good therapists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. like you would, you know, search for somebody to do the tile in your house and you want somebody mm-hmm. that's good at it with therapists it's the same thing like mm-hmm. there are therapists who are not on top of their game who aren't in it for the right reasons we are we are not those people by the way <laughs> we are we are in it we're real good just so you know. yeah so good <laughs> some days <laughs> yeah when i'm on my game uh, but yeah you can be picky mm-hmm. so yeah, you have Just, that right. Yeah, probably not picky to the point where you are never settling in with a therapist because you may want to look at that. It may be a sign of something else going on with you. Yeah, because there's a difference between I'm not going to talk to any therapist and I will talk to the therapist once I'm comfortable with them. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, you have to do that as a self check. Because if, yeah, if you're just, we call it therapist shopping. If you're just therapist shopping, we have people who do that at our agency and they'll go through like four therapists and it's like, yeah. well, this is no longer about us. It's about you, yeah. yeah, which is fine. But you have to at some point stick with someone to be able to work through mm-hmm. whatever's going on. Whatever is so. stopping you from progressing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So KJ, when you mentioned when you're looking for a therapist, you said, look at the type of therapy that they do. So what do you do if you're not really familiar with all of those types of therapy? Like, how do you know what you want? So we'll break some of those down for you right now. Uh, but basically, you if you find somebody on like psychologytoday.com or like see their bio somewhere about the types of therapy they do, just a quick Google search might give you an idea because we won't be covering every single type of therapy on here today mm-hmm. or we would be talking for days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's a pretty easy way to get kind of the gist and think, okay, mm-hmm. that, that might be what I'm looking for. But we'll break down for you a few of the most common modalities. And some of them are self-explanatory. Like if I'm looking for somebody for anxiety and they're like, I treat anxiety. You're like, great, that sounds right. But for some of them, they're like those acronyms that we all had to learn, but are Mm -hmm. probably more confusing. Uh, The therapy world is full of acronyms. Like we can have a whole sentence that's just like, I got a, and the I got MHA. an MSW and I'm an LCSW and I do CBT with a little mm-hmm. bit of DBT and a little bit of yeah. mindfulness and a little. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So just send over your MSA and then I'll get you in for an MHA and then we'll get a treatment plan off of that. Thanks. Yeah. Like it gets a little. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think you'll find honestly that a lot of therapists are pretty eclectic in their approach. 
At least I am. Yeah. I do a little yeah. bit of this, a lot of that, and a little bit of this. So you make Yeah, the idea is that not every problem is a nail. So you need a hammer and you need a screwdriver and you need a whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So let's start by talking about CBT. Anybody mm-hmm. got a good explanation? Cognitive behavioral therapy. This is probably one of the most common types of therapy that you'll see in the mm-hmm. therapist or psychology world. Typically, CBT treats um, depression and anxieties. Those are the two big ones, but it can kind of treat a lot of different things. But it's a very research-based method. So the reason why CBT yeah. became so popular was because the research reflected that it was very real. It was really, really effective for those things. Mm-hmm. So people that were experiencing depression or anxiety when they were treated with CBT, they got better. So that's what that research kind of showed. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of different models for CBT. So the idea is that your thoughts lead to feelings, which lead to actions. And that cycle happens over and over and over again. So if you're having negative thoughts, you're having negative feelings, and then you're doing things that are maybe not helping your situation. Mm -hmm. And then you just create this pattern. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when you hear about like negative thoughts, negative cognitions, thinking errors, that's all CBT. A good way to kind of make sense of that is like say you're laying in bed at night and you Mm -hmm. hear a crash in the living room and so that's like the event that happens the crash and then immediately my thought is and for me taylor my thought is oh there is a predator in my house that's going to kill me right that's my thought and then my feeling that goes down into my belly is usually panic dread fear you know all those things And then if you change the thought, you can change the feeling. So again, we have the same situation, crash in the living room. I'm asleep in my bed. My first thought is, you know, it's that stupid picture frame that's fallen off of the wall six times today. That's my thought. And then my feeling is like maybe a little annoyed, maybe relieved, maybe, you know, indifference. So if I have a different thought, I can have a different feeling. So CBT kind of helps you recognize what you're thoughts are you can journal them sometimes and then after that you we do reframes so you reframe that thought into a more positive thought or more realistic thought okay so another one you'll probably hear quite often is dbt so dialectical behavior therapy this kind of therapy really targets things like mindfulness radical acceptance There's tons of acronyms in DBT, but it's basically how you interact with yourself and how you interact with other people. So it's ways to calm yourself down. It's ways to communicate effectively with other people by coming from a place of mindfulness or acceptance. And this therapy has been found to be really helpful for people with personality disorders like borderline personality disorder, really good for people who maybe struggle with things like self-harm. Which Uh, is a lot of teenagers these days. So yeah, parents of teenagers who are having that problem, DBT is a helpful form of therapy for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Okay, so our next type of therapy is called EMDR. I think you guys have heard us mention it on the podcast before. It stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. So Very intuitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So EMDR is the most hippy-dippy therapy, but for me, it's my favorite. So basically, the founder, Francine Shapiro, found that 
when she would go on walks after a really rough divorce, she would feel better after these walks. And she realized that what she was doing was she was tracking the pavement and going from left to right with her eyes. And so she started to apply this to therapy and found that it helped move trauma to a better place. So the idea is that when we have trauma, it isn't stored properly in the brain because it makes sense. There's not a place for it to go, right? If someone sexually assaults us, there's no part in the brain that's like, oh, yeah, sexual assault. That was supposed to happen. Here's where we store it. Here's the so, banker box that that goes in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it basically isn't stored healthily. And so it starts to create these negative symptoms. And so what EMDR does is we bring out that trauma and using the eye movements at the same time, we reprocess it so that you can have a different belief and a different perspective on what happened. And then basically you can put that trauma into the file folder where it belongs, which is basically the bad things happen sometimes, but I can be strong or I can learn from it or whatever you need to learn about it. Yeah, I could not speak more highly of it. This is the, this is the therapy that I recommend to everybody. Even, mm-hmm. even if you feel like you don't have a major like traumatic event trauma. yeah, yeah. that you're trying to work through, like EMDR works for anybody. And mm-hmm. I have seen literal miracles happen in my office working with this. Like I've worked with kids who were sexually abused for like a decade. Mm-hmm. And we did like five sessions of EMDR, sent a kid on a home visit. She ran into um, the person who had abused her and she was fine. Like she handled Mm -hmm. the interaction. She didn't have a panic attack. She didn't downward spiral after that. So really the point is we're desensitizing you to your trauma to a point where you can just handle if the memory of it comes to your mind. It's not changing the event to be a positive event in your mind. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be a positive thing. But we're getting you to a point where you can look at it and see it and not completely struggle but also if you go and you do emdr and you're like this is doing nothing for me Mm -hmm. tell your therapist i've had many clients who also were like uh this is not my preferred form Mm -hmm. and then we move on and do cbt or something else which are also effective so you just have to find the ones that are good for you Mm -hmm. now let's talk about neurofeedback so neurofeedback is really cool especially in working with teenagers, because basically they can watch Netflix while their brain gets a workout. (laughs) So basically what the therapist will do is they do a brain map of your brain and they see the parts of your brain that aren't creating optimal levels of their brain waves. So maybe their brain waves are too heightened or too low and they're not really in that happy middle ground where they should be. So then the therapist will put little nodes on those parts of their brain or on their head at those parts of their brain and it creates a feedback loop. So those nodes will read the brain waves that are going on in that part of your brain. So maybe it's the part of your brain that controls uh, appetite or ADHD or mm-hmm. depression, anxiety. And the nodes will monitor the brain waves that are happening and it will go into a little machine and then that machine will interpret them and it will send that information to a TV screen. So the TV screen, if the brain isn't functioning optimally, 
will shrink the picture or change the color of the picture, which then communicates to your brain, hey, I'm not working like I should, and your brain will change the picture back to how it should look. Pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, it's science. (laughs) Basically... The it's not inputting anything into your brain. It's basically communicating to your brain what it needs to be doing, and then your brain fixes itself. So your brain really is getting a workout without you doing anything. You are not consciously telling your brain what to do. You're literally just watching a TV show. So mm-hmm. I did this. I was targeting sleep, and I just watched Lord of the Rings for oh, like yes. six sessions and my brain got to work out, and I just got to chill and watch Aragorn and Legolas just kick some orc butt. <laughs> and yeah, you did. Awesome. So neurofeedback is really cool. It sometimes is not covered by insurance, so that is something you need to look into. Yeah. yeah. But some therapists will do it as part of their practice, so you can mm-hmm. just look into it. So we want to address what you can do for kids because we know a lot of you guys are parents. The most popular form of therapy for children is play therapy, which is basically your child is introduced to a playroom. They're allowed to do anything and everything in that playroom aside from hurting themselves or the toys. Mm -hmm. And they play out what they need to work through because children's language is play. So the perfect example is my niece. So my niece and I, uh, she became really obsessed with Madeline. And so we would play Madeline over and over and over again. And then she actually ended up going to the hospital. And when she was in the hospital, I came and visited her and I played Madeline with her in the hospital. So I was like, oh, I'm the nurse and you're Madeline. Did you have your appendix taken out? You know, all Mm -hmm. of this. And so then she came home and continued to play Madeline until she was done with that experience and had moved through it. And then we never played Madeline again. Because she was done with it, you know. And so you really can see how kids will play through their trauma themes. But it's nice to do it in play therapy because it gives them a place just for that. And a play therapist will usually use other modalities like sand tray, which is so cool. Basically, you go into a room, you have a big sand tray with really soft sand. If your therapist does not have soft sand, they need to get it because that's like half of the experience. And you have all of these figures in the room and you can create a scene and then the therapist will work through the scene with you. And it almost always comes through to show something about your life. Mm-hmm. It's one of those unconscious kind of crazy when you have the realization of what it was, you're like, oh my gosh. It's How so did trippy. my brain know? Yeah, And it's not just for kids. You can do sand tray yeah. as adults, yes. which is so yeah. cool. So cool. One of my therapists was just a sand tray therapist. So mm-hmm. I did like six weeks of just sand tray every week and I loved it. Mm-hmm. I was always like, let's get to the sand tray. Stop talking to me. Let's go. <laughs> I want to see <laughs> what I need to work stuff. through. Yeah. And then they'll also bring in a lot of art therapy, mm-hmm. which, you know, can be having the child draw a house person in a tree and then assessing their emotional and family life, or it might be creating a self-esteem picture. There's just a lot of different forms, but that's really helpful for kids and kind of that eight to 12 period, you'll get a ton of art therapy because that's really when they're at that age of being able to express themselves creatively. Whereas like a three-year-old 
Mm-hmm. It's you're not going to get a lot from a picture unless they're just drawing black scribbles all over something. And then you're like, what's that? And they're like, that's the anger. And you're like, okay, cool. All right. Let's, let's go get with to that. that. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. I know that we have covered a lot of the foundational things, like the most common things that you'll see a practitioner or a clinician using, but there's also lots of different types of marital therapy. So like there's emotionally focused therapy, which is really, really common. There's the Gottman method. If you're, you know, if you're uh, familiar with Dr. Gottman and there's family therapy, there's narrative therapy, all those types are used in marriage therapy. So it's kind of like when you go and see a marriage therapist, it would be a good question to ask them like what types of modalities do you use or techniques or interventions and you can google any of these things i mean of course we all know with google you have to look up credible sources and stuff like that so you get a good picture of what you're looking at but it can be pretty well defined in that so Mm -hmm. there's so many different types and we've gone over the basics and if you are curious about some of the ones that we didn't go into a whole lot message us or leave us a review we could seriously do entire podcast episodes on one type of therapy. Mm -hmm. If maybe we have a lot of people that are wondering more about DBT or mindfulness or EMDR or um, emotionally focused therapy for couples, like just let us know. We would be more than happy to give you guys a deeper look into any of those. Yeah, definitely. All right. So we hope you guys find that helpful and it's just a broad overview, but get into therapy. It's the best. It is seriously the best thing for you, for your mental health. And we also just wanted to let you know that our next episode will be about resiliency and we will have our first guest on the podcast and it should be really good. We're really excited about it. We're excited to dig into that topic because we could all work on being a little more resilient. It's just Mm -hmm. one of those life skills. So tune in then. (laughs) Goodbye. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Bloopers. Bloopers. I have permission to tell this. I'll ask later. But, so. He can't skateboard in the house. Skateboards are for outside. Great parenting happening right now. Right? This is real life.